Welcome to Coach Up Spark Leadership Podcast, a platform devoted to exploring the future of work through coaching and behavioral change. This season, we'll be sharing in-depth conversations with some of the world's brightest psychologists, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and thought leaders. We'll cover hot business topics such as organizational transformation, women in leadership, executive coaching, and navigating work in today's market. I'm your host this week, Janis Niedelschutz, co-founder and CEO of CoachUp. Today, I will be speaking with Dr. Fergus Connolly. Dr. Connolly has coached some of the world's most elite performers in the most demanding and high-pressure organizations in business, sports, and the military. He's also a best-selling author and TED Talk speaker whose motto is coaching the best to better. We're excited to be speaking with him today about his experience as a coach specifically for leaders in Fortune 500 companies. Executive coaching is a topic that's been acutely on my mind lately because I truly believe that everyone benefits from coaching and development, including those in executive leadership positions like myself. So welcome to the show, Fergus. Thank you very much for having me. So um, my first question would be to kick it off. You've worked with top leaders across business, sports and the military. What do these leaders have in common when it comes to professional challenges? Wow. Um, I think obviously the, the pressure of delivering over time and with time constraints is one of the most common things. But interestingly enough, some of the biggest challenges actually are not even professional necessarily. Most of the challenges that I encounter with elite performers are around things like resilience and communication, creativity, problem solving, but they're not necessarily domain specific. I think many organizations train and develop people exceptionally well in their area of expertise or their, their domain. And it's the additional skills where they struggle the most. That and then managing work-life balance and, and personal things. And those are the really common things between all elite performers today, I think. And that includes uh, business, sports, military alike? Absolutely, yeah. Because what you have today, maybe more so than, than ever before, we almost have these uh, pipelines from a very early age. You know, so people you know, graduate high school, they go to university, and from then, they're on a track to a specific career. You know, they do a master's, PhD, whatever, and then they enter the workforce. So their education is of a very high standard, but they have perhaps missed out on additional skills that perhaps, you know, generations before they were exposed to. So the ability to communicate to, you know, different groups, uh, experience outside of work that benefit them actually in the workplace. For example, let's just take communication uh, as a skill set. Many people have, you know, poor communication skills or have developed poor habits. So when they enter the workforce, they struggle then to communicate with people of different backgrounds or different experience levels. And that can become an issue. Whereas I think other generations previously had lots more experience when they entered the workforce. And you see that across, like I said, in sport, even in the military and in business today. That's very interesting. So you're saying... Uh, previous generations were more skilled in those fields. I'm, I'm curious, why is that? I think that we've become 
it's it's almost that we've become a victim of our efficiency in the education system. Let's take, for example, somebody in the tech or finance space. They go through university. They're surrounded by people who are similar to them. It's almost like an echo chamber, and they're used to communicating with that one type of person. The education system is based on passing exams. So it's very much based on the ability to memorize and recall. There's less and less problem solving. There's less and less encouragement towards innovation. There's less and less, uh, for example, presentation skills or communication skills or opportunities to develop these skills as you're going through the education system. Previous generations perhaps had uh, more diverse backgrounds. Maybe it wasn't as streamlined. And so by default, now we have produced wonderful experts, wonderful specialists, but we've kind of missed out on these problem-solving, creativity, communication, resilience skills that become incredibly important to high performers when they're in the workforce. I couldn't agree more. I'm curious, you coach a lot of people from the sports and the military areas. What is something that leaders and business can learn from those from those folks? I think one of the, the biggest deliverables or learning opportunities, for example, in sport and military is the ability to deliver at a specific time when needed. In a business context, Obviously, you're delivering perhaps more frequently, perhaps you have major deadlines. And so being able to schedule and plan how to deliver on a specific date is one very important transferable skill. One of the other interesting skills that you see, particularly in sport, is the ability to communicate across all different backgrounds. Because in professional sport, I remember, uh, I remember working at Liverpool, walking into the, you know, the dining hall and you've got a table of Spanish-speaking soccer players, you've got a table of English-speaking, you've got a, a table of Europeans, perhaps, yes, some Germans as well. And, and even at Bolton Wanderers, it was the very same thing. So the ability then to pull a group of people with completely different backgrounds, even speaking different languages, and, and to harness them towards one direct goal, that's an incredible skill to be able to Uh, empathize, appreciate, and pull those people together. That's something that I think in business is becoming more and more important, particularly as organizations are recognizing now their global impact. Since you're working with senior executives for many, many years, what's on their mind these days in, uh, you know, weird times, I would say, uh, with all kinds of challenges that are uh, going on globally? What's on their mind? How do they feel? What's, what are the topics they want to talk about um, in their coaching sessions or uh, in, in other interactions? Is there a trend you can see? Is there um, you know, a pattern you can recognize? To generalize, I think one of the biggest challenges or one of the areas that I see most frequently are developing managers into leaders and that transition. So very often as organizations grow and as careers develop, There's a point where somebody who is doing an exceptional job, working exceptionally well and delivering, now is recognized as having the potential to be a good leader. And how to transition them from simply managing people, 
in, in essence, directing them, telling them what to do, to now leading and having the vision and creativity to come up with targets and goals that they can work towards. And that's a that's a careful pathway of developing people who, again, have been very specialized at doing one thing very, very well. Perhaps they start to develop into a management role where they're sharing some expertise. And the next step then is leading a group of people and how to essentially do two things at one time, continue to manage and then step into leadership from time to time. And that's a, that's a developmental process where you have to continue continuously develop leadership qualities uh, in your staff because you have to be able to delegate and grow over time. You know, it's, it's a challenge, it's a constant challenge. But the idea that simply your best employee is going to be your best manager, best leader, is a mistake that uh, groups often make. Mm, yeah, the classical case where you promote a high-performing individual that's probably tactically uh, extremely uh, skilled uh, and assuming that this person will also be a fantastic manager is probably often <laughs> not going as expected. That's, that's yeah, I hear that. Yeah, exactly. If you want, If you want to use a sporting analogy, of course, there's lots of great examples of great players who turned out to be poor managers. And it's something similar where you want to develop those leadership skills over a period of time. One of the other challenges I think that you see quite a bit is a fear of failure. And so not allowing people experiment and develop and understand where their capabilities are. Sometimes the inclination is to jump in and to try and fix a problem for someone without letting them fail. And of course, it has to be controlled failure because you, you, it has to be based around smaller tasks. But that learning cycle becomes incredibly important and it builds resilience, it builds robustness, and it develops great problem-solving qualities. Like we do it, you know, we do it when we're younger all the time. We make lots of mistakes and we learn from them. But sometimes then as we grow in a career, we almost get scared of doing things and that failure loop, that feedback cycle is, is almost broken. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, I want to come back to the question before. I mean, with tons of leaders being under tremendous pressure, I mean, not only in these days, probably that's, that's always the case in all kinds of uh, positions. You as an executive coach, how do you help them deal with their stress, um, with anxieties? And you know this um, tremendous amount of pressure they're they're under. Give us a couple of ideas how how executives can um, deal with those immense pressures. So I always approach it on two fronts. One is in in the professional sense. So have they got clarity of vision? Do they understand exactly what is important at that moment in time? Because very often they can get distracted. And so having a very very clear vision, understanding the steps. And then being ruthlessly disciplined about tackling those and getting them delivered upon over time. So that starts to build confidence. They've got clarity of vision and they start to make progress. And, that, and once that starts and that momentum builds and they keep referring to that, that becomes really, really important. So you're managing the energy directly to the tasks that matter. Now, on the other hand, the other pathway or the other I talk about the worlds that we live in. So there's, that's the professional world. But on the personal side, this is where health, wellness, lifestyle habits become really, really important. And you can't really separate both because think of it like um, almost like the size of your battery. So the size of the battery that you have 
is going to be determined by, you know, how much sleep you get, how well you eat, how you manage your energy, even the, you know, how much coffee you're going to have each morning, those kinds of things that develops or builds the size of the battery that then in, in the professional work that allows you then to work to that level. But over time, your health, keeping those things as a priority become really, really important. And of course, one of the first things that we sacrifice when we come under pressure is sleep and diet, and we start to revert back to old habits. And very, very quickly then, you know, you're waking up fatigued and you're going to bed fatigued, or you're not even getting a proper restful night's sleep. So keeping a balance in those two domains or those two worlds becomes really, really important. I have a course or a module just purely on sleep alone. A lot of it is very, very simple, basic uh, protocols, but it's explaining to people why they matter because there's so many small things that we perhaps forget, we take for granted, but how do we manage them? Because again, it is a little bit obvious, but sleep is your best friend. I remember like when I started working in professional sport, almost 25 years ago, people were trying to find a solution or a hack or a, a trick for sleep. They're still looking for it. There is no hack for rest and recovery and sleep. Like, I mean, it doesn't exist. Since we have an absolute expert and an executive coaching here, I would like to ask you the question of what makes a good coach coachy relationship from your experience? Trust and honesty. So, you know, even Patrick Lencioni talks about trust, but the the most fundamental starting point is is honesty, the ability for both to be honest with each other, and that's when you develop trust. And trust takes time. As you have that in place, then it's the ability to listen carefully to what each person is saying, and reflecting on not just what they say but how they say it. And because once you have that trust built up, then you can start to ask more difficult questions or ask difficult questions in a kind way. I often describe it as, you know, assaulting someone with marshmallows. You're asking hard questions, but they're landing soft. But that takes time once you have that, you know, circle of trust in place between the client and the coach. Once you have that, then you can start to peel away the different, the different layers and it becomes, you know, a really trusting relationship. And again, having worked in the different arenas, particularly in the corporate space, it's surprising actually, you know, in sport, it's just a given you have a coach. In fact, you have a coach for everything. And in the corporate space, then having somebody who you can call, who you trust and who can be honest and is able to look at things with, you know, a different perspective, but also hasn't got the same kind of uh, attachment to certain things that are happening within the organization. That becomes really, really important. I couldn't agree more. Um, how do you prepare or how do you approach the first coaching session uh, with an executive coaching client? What can people expect when they, when they have a first coaching session with you? Sometimes I will do one or two just initially just conversations to see if we're a fit to begin with because sometimes a person isn't ready for coaching or they have a different impression of what 
coaching is going to be or how you coach. So a lot of it initially is listening to them, asking them, finding out what they want. Sometimes that takes, you know, two calls to really uncover because occasionally somebody's coming in hot, you know, they've got a, they've got an issue that they need to address and you can help them with that initially, but does that mean they want coaching? Uh, that's a different conversation. So it's getting to the bottom of that, explaining to them how you work, your manner, your personality, how you communicate, what it's going to mean to them. And then once you feel that, that you're a fit, then there's basically a process of discovery, understanding what they want to get, what success is going to look like for them. In my case, most of the people that I work with are already established leaders. For them, it's about sustaining success. In other words, they have reached a very high level within their organization, perhaps leading the organization. They feel that they've plateaued or they're starting to struggle or recognize that they're struggling in areas that they never struggled in before. And so it's about helping them continue that rate of success that they have experienced. And very often that's about recognizing, okay, there are some other areas here that I have neglected over the last few years. Now they are critical. Now they're starting to cause me challenges in the work that I do. And that can be a little bit uncomfortable for some people. But once you have gotten to that level of trust, that level of honesty, then you can start to explore them and you can help them work on the, those challenges over time. And from a personal perspective, it's incredibly rewarding. Like, you know, you get a text or you get an email, you know, a day after helping somebody with something, you, they've tried it out and you get a line that was really helpful. It worked really well or just those things for me personally, those are incredibly rewarding. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, that sounds so great. Fergus, thank you so much. Uh, we've come actually to the end of our program. Um, but before we go, uh, one more question. What's the biggest takeaway you've discovered from talking to your own professional coach? For me personally, what I love about my coach, actually I have two coaches uh, that I use regularly, is I really love the, the tough questions that they ask me and challenge me about managing my time. Because like a lot of high performers, and I made this mistake myself, you set exceptionally unrealistic targets and goals. And when they call me out or ask me, you know, is that reasonable? And you, you just pause, you think about it and you go, eh, yeah, maybe that was an unreasonable expectation. That's been the biggest benefit, biggest help for me, particularly over the last five years, is keeping those expectations in check and keeping a balance. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you, Jonas. Thank you to our guest, Fergus Connolly. You can find Fergus' newest book, 59 Lessons, Working with the World's Elite Coaches, Athletes and Special Forces on Amazon. And thank you all for listening to Spark Leadership. Please join us in two weeks for the next episode. You can subscribe to Spark Leadership on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to know more about CoachUp and our programs for your organization, please connect with us at coachup.com.